Well, welcome again and happy Palm Sunday, everybody. This is a big week for church people, right? This is like our, I mean, it's the Master's Sunday, which is kind of a big deal for me. But uh, the rest of the week is really big deal for church stuff, right? We got Palm Sunday into Maundy Thursday, Good Friday. Uh, Saturday doesn't really have a cool name. And then Sunday's Easter Sunday, which is great. So we're uh, always excited. And we've actually got three services next Sunday. Uh, so if you're doing any inviting or if you're making your plans for next Sunday morning, we've got our 9, 15, and 11 as usual and then a 7.30 to kind of kick things off early that morning. We'll have a continental breakfast for that first service. You want to come in, bagels, donuts, juice, that kind of stuff. would really encourage as many as possible to hit that 7.30 because it opens up some room at the second and third service as well. Just so you know, that there will be no kid stuff at the 7.30, uh, just kind of a, a adults only. No, not really. Kids are welcome. We just won't have the kids' rooms open. But at the 9.15 and 11, we'll have all our kids' stuff open YouTube Live uh, 9, 15, and 11. So those of you guys who watch on YouTube Live will have both of those services available uh, streaming live as well. Just, and we've got all kinds of invite cards, little baseball card size invite cards back on the Info Center table. So if you've got friends or neighbors or family members, feel free to grab a bunch of those on your way out, and we can always replenish those. So uh, really excited about what's coming over the next week. But today, uh, kind of a, a subtle but very important event that happened right after Jesus' resurrection. So we're, we're skipping right ahead to next Sunday morning when it comes to the story. And, and we're going to close the service with communion. So if you didn't grab um, a little cup of juice and bread on your way in, you can grab that any time this morning. We're going to finish up with the Lord's Supper together. Uh, but maybe you've heard it. The story is referred to as the road to Emmaus. I want to look at that this morning, kind of the journey from sight to faith that Jesus takes a couple individuals through. So we're going to jump right in. Luke 24 and just for some context, this happens on, on Easter Sunday morning. Jesus has risen. So, so they've come through the week. They had the upper room experience. Last supper, Jesus is arrested. He's put on trial, just a sham of a trial. Uh, he's tortured. He's crucified. Saturday comes and goes. Sunday morning arrives. And now there's some rumors kind of trickling through the city of Jerusalem as some of the women followers of Jesus showed up at the tomb and he's not there, interacted with a couple angels. They go back, and Peter and John go running. They discover an empty tomb, know Jesus. And so, so these rumors and whispers are swirling around Jerusalem, and that's kind of where we find ourselves here in Luke 24. And it says, Now that same day, talking about Sunday morning, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. We're coming back to that verse in a few minutes. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So, so we find us here, and some of the natural questions that come up, well, who are these two individuals? Well, clearly, they have some connection with the, with the 12, probably not from the original 12. One of them is named Cleopas. 
Now, there is an individual who's mentioned a few times in the New Testament named Clopas, which is a variation of Cleopas. So if that's that individual, that guy has a wife named Mary, potentially the same Mary who was at the tomb earlier that morning. Uh, but it seems odd that it would be that one. But, but if it's the Clopas that we think it is, it might be Jesus' uncle, his father Joseph's brother. And now the soft part of my heart kind of roots for that one to be the one, like he shows up to family and almost like the word is immediately going to get back to his mom, Mary, like, hey, tell mom I'm back, I'm, I'm good, this is, this is, we're going to keep this thing rolling. Uh, but then I think, well, obviously Jesus makes it clear in these few chapters that he can show up wherever the heck he wants, whenever the heck he wants. So it's like, well, I'll just show up at your mom's house then and talk to her too. I don't know. But so, so I don't know who this is. What we do know is they're clearly part of the inner circle, even though they're not likely one of the 12. And then the other question becomes, why are they leaving town? Because certainly there are some big events taking place in Jerusalem that day. But, you know, some guesses, maybe for them, they're, maybe they're enough on the fringe of following Jesus that for them, they got to get back. Sunday was the first day of their week, so maybe they got to get back to, to kind of get business rolling again with a new week as the Passover weekend has ended. Um, maybe they're giving up. Maybe now that Jesus is gone, it's time for them to give up on what he was teaching and what he was doing. Maybe they're running away. Right? Maybe they don't even live in Emmaus. Maybe they're getting out of Jerusalem as soon as possible because they got to Jesus. Maybe they're coming for the 11 disciples next. And then those of us on that, maybe we need to get out of town before things get really crazy. My guess is they had probably given up on following Jesus. They had probably given up on everything that they thought was going to happen. Because if you think of it this way, if you're in the inner circle, right? maybe these two aren't one of the 12, but they're enough on the inner circle that they were around to kind of hear that the Women had been to the tomb and there's things happening. And so these are individuals who had placed their hopes and dreams on Jesus being the Messiah. They believe that. And now in the last couple days, they've seen him crucified and they go through a couple days of just total devastation. But now there are rumors swirling that he's gone, that he's missing, that maybe he has risen from the dead. If you're in the inner circle and you're leaving town in the midst of that, the only reason you would do that is if you've given up hope. Right? They mention, hey, it's been three days. So you think, okay, this ancient world, maybe they'd heard stories of someone being pronounced dead and without modern technology. Maybe it's just a deep coma. You can't sense a heartbeat. And all of a sudden, day and a half later, they, they, they wake up. Right, And now it's, you can almost sense like, eh, it's been three days. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's been too long for anything to happen at this point. And so they're probably just thinking, we've got to move on. It's time to pick up the pieces, learn what we can from this, this season of life, and move on. Well, let's finish it out. Verse 25, Jesus says to them, they still don't know that it's him. He says, how foolish you are, pretty blunt, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explains to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further but they urged him strongly, no, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day's almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to you. This is total hindsight. You know they're looking at each other. I knew it was him. I, my heart was totally burning while he was with us. Did you know, was your heart burning? My heart was totally burning. I just didn't want to say anything because I figured he wanted you to figure it out on your own. So I didn't say anything. I'm like, you total goofballs walking on this road, man. So they get up and returned at once to Jerusalem 
There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and said, It is true, the Lord is risen and he's appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Um, these guys, I, I hope that if they were good friends, those 11 disciples just hammered these guys. Be like, you were with them for how long? Oh man, like eight or nine hours. And then when you realized it was him, what did you ask him? What'd you talk about? Well, when we realized it was him, he disappeared into thin air. So we didn't really have a, a very good conversation. I just hope that they never let them live that down in a very gracious, uh, Christ-like way. But I want to, so I want to go back, uh, back to verse 16, because that, that there's so much we could pull from this situation, but the thing I want to highlight this morning is that they were kept from recognizing him. They were kept from recognizing him. That seems unfair to me, right, in that moment. After all they had been through, everything that they had seen and experienced and felt in those few days, they, they didn't recognize him. And my mind goes back to Romans chapter 9. If you read that chapter, tough chapter to read, because in many ways it puts humans in our place, right? It's, it's it's the chapter's like, hey, you're just, you're just a lump of clay. Who are you to question God? But as a part of that passage, there's some theological significance to the statement where they were, they were kept from knowing. You can compare it to Pharaoh's heart being hardened back in Exodus. Like the guy didn't have a chance. God hardened his heart in order to accomplish his purposes. You can compare it to Jacob being chosen over his older brother Esau to kind of carry on the lineage in the family tree from Abraham and, and Isaac all the way down and, and Jacob was chosen over Esau to, to, to be a part of that covenant story. And there's, so in scripture, we, we find that there's certainly an element of God having a say over who will see and who will not see. And that's, that's tough to process. So in, so in this situation, why then would he cover their eyes from understanding who he was? Well, I think in some ways, what Jesus was giving us was a preview of what following him would look like from then on. Remember uh, Jesus' prayer in John 17. We hit that at the end of our terminal series a few weeks ago. Jesus prays for his 12 disciples and all that they're about to go through and thanks God for them, but then he turns his attention to those who will come after, those who won't be around to sit on the mountainside with him and, and sit in a boat with him and share meals with him and watch him, watch him work and minister and hear him speak. And he said, I, I pray for those who will come after who don't get to sit with me, who don't get to see. And then in John 20, uh, you remember the story of Doubting Thomas, where he comes and they had already seen Jesus. Like, I'm, I'll believe when I can look him in the eye, when I can touch his wounds, I can put my hand in his side, and, and Jesus shows up, and Thomas believes, and Jesus loves that. But he says, listen, I love that you believe, but blessed are those who will come after and who will believe who don't get to see, who don't get to look at the scars. See, once Jesus leaves, looking in his face will no longer be an option. Recognize him, recognizing him physically as the true resurrected Jesus is not possible. Staring into his eyes to confirm the authenticity is not possible. Seeing and touching his scars, not possible. And so, yeah, it feels like a dirty trick that Jesus would cover their eyes and not let them see, but all he simply did was put them in the same exact situation that we're in today. No ability to stand before him physically. But just because we don't have that, doesn't mean we're left with nothing. And what I see here is Jesus kind of walking them through a process that can be incredibly healthy, incredibly helpful, incredibly powerful in our lives, and one that I think that we can go back to from time to time. And that's one of the things I love about the Easter season is that for those of us in, in, who are doing our best to walk with Jesus, it can kind of snap us out of our apathy a little bit, snap us out of a little bit of malaise that, that you just get into the routine of life and the days fly by and the things happen 
and, and we just kind of drift a little bit. And I think this process that he walks them through um, can be helpful for us as well, especially as we approach Easter over this next week. So, so what did he do with them? What, what kind of a process was this? Well, the first thing, in, in no uncertain terms, he asked them, what's going on in your life? What's going on in your life? When, when they're starting to ramble on about all the things that are happening in Jerusalem, he's like, well, what things? Right? Has them recap, remember what they had been through over the last week, process the meaningful events, process the emotions that came along with that. What have you seen? What have you heard? What have you been feeling lately? What's been your source of hope? What's been kind of a source of discouragement and disappointment in your life? Where has there been confusion? Where has there been celebration in your life? What what are the important days and events, the emotions, the highs and lows? There there are things that repeat over and over. It's so easy for life to just become a blur. The repetition, the routine, the fast pace of life. Things maybe that used to be reliable become unreliable in our lives, sometimes even overnight. And so he has them take a moment and just recap everything that's been happening in their lives lately, almost saying, hey, just push pause on the blur for a second. What's been going on in your life? What have you been through? What are you feeling? What are you thinking? What's going on in your life? Moving on to verses 25 to 27, basically Jesus says, okay, based on what you've been through, based on what you're experiencing, based on the events of the last week or the last month or the last year, what do the scriptures say? What do the scriptures say? Jesus says, okay, hold on, I hear it. I hear things are crazy. You're coming from Jerusalem where things are nuts right now. There's a lot going on. I understand your emotions. I understand the responses you've had to the events and the emotions but you're forgetting something very important. He says, he says, the issue has already been addressed. Everything that you're going through, everything that you're feeling has already been addressed. And he says, if you look back, if you look back at the scriptures, the events of today will look and feel very different based on what you've been told, based on what you've been promised, based on what's been asked of you. It's almost like Jesus is walking them back through the steps. You're like, okay, so you guys are telling me, you two guys are telling me that you believe this Jesus guy was the Messiah. Is that right? Yeah, we believed he was it. He was the one. And now that he's died, you think that means he's not the Messiah. Yeah, it seems pretty obvious. But then it was, well, what wasn't, if we look back at these passages, wasn't death part of the plan of being the Messiah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, that, I think you're right. And so he takes them back through the scripture and says, this is what God said about this. And this is what he told us in his word about that. And, and this moment is tough. I know you're struggling, but what about this promise or this prophecy that already talked about this moment and these events and these emotions that you're feeling? It's hard to know what's going to happen. It's hard to know what God is up to. But what about this passage? What about this story? These things that were meant to encourage us and empower us, these things that were meant to give us peace and confidence, even when things are difficult. And, and, and this, the, the other teachers of the New Testament do this all over the place. You read through the book of Acts, uh, you can look at Peter in Acts 2 and Acts 3 as he's teaching. Look at Stephen in Acts 7. You can look at Philip in Acts 8. You can look at Paul in Acts 13. And what they do is they're, they're, start, they're trying to share the gospel with people and tell them what it means to follow Jesus, what his death and resurrection mean. But where do they start? They go back to the beginning and they talk about Father Abraham and they talk about Moses and they go through the prophets and they share all these different stories and memories from Scripture and these promises and these prophecies that all point to Jesus and say, it's not just about this. All of this leads up to that. Let me take you back to what the Bible said about all these things. And now they've happened. And isn't, isn't it amazing how different the crucifixion looks 
when you knew that it was going to happen and you knew that it had to happen. So easy to forget about the amazing things that God tells us. So easy to forget about those. And I think these two individuals on the road to Emmaus had forgotten. And so in the midst of what was happening in their lives, in the midst of what they were sharing, in the midst of what they were processing and feeling, he sent them back to the word, back to the word to be reminded of what God says about life, to be reminded about what's really true. So what's going on in your life? He's asking, what are these things? What things? What's going on? Tell me where you're at. Okay, and now based on that, what does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say about what you're experiencing and feeling? Let's look at that. And then he gets to the last part. And I love this little, this little parallel that happens in Luke, uh, in, in verse 30 and 31 there, the communion parallel. Because what we just read, when, when they finally realize who it is, it's in this moment, Luke 24, 30. And, and look at the parallel. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. Go back to Luke 22, the original Lord's Supper. Same verbiage. He took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. In that moment, he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I gotta believe those two had been there. Right? We, we always picture the Lord's Supper. We got the, the, the famous painting where there's the 12 or 13 of them all sitting there together. There's no evidence it was just the 12. In fact, we know that there was two of them that were sent ahead of the 12 to prepare the upper room for, the, for that last supper. I would love to believe it's the same two. Can't prove it, but I think it'd be an amazing little uh, full circle moment for them. But I gotta believe because of the parallels, because of that moment being the moment when they recognize them, I gotta believe those two were there. So what is he? He took them back to a moment in the midst of all the things they were experiencing in life, in the midst of the scriptures that shed light and truth and peace and confidence on the things that they were experiencing. He took them back to a familiar moment, a strong memory, to the intense emotions around those events, a moment when they were with him, a moment when they were confident in him. Maybe confused, right? That last supper, Jesus says some stuff that even the disciples are like, man, what's going on? But they were all in in that moment. And so he had given them a chance to process the events of life. He had appealed the powerful reminders of Scripture, and now he's sealing the deal with their, with their hearts and saying, it was true then, remember that, remember when it was true, it's true now. You were all in before. Remember that moment in the upper room where you were, you were all in on me and what I'm doing? You can be all in now. You needed me before, you needed me now. You were with Jesus before, you're with him now. And again, th- this is all great, this is a great process, but I still ask the question, why put these poor guys through that, right? The, these two individuals, why make them walk this journey? Why all the extra steps? I love the way Pastor John Piper puts it as he talks about this particular passage. I think it kind of gives us the landing point of what Jesus is trying to do. He says, Jesus fully intended to help them see. But notice the priority of Jesus' revelation. Before he opened their physical eyes, he purposed to open their heart eyes. Why? Because it was of utmost importance that they walk by faith, not by sight. Jesus knew that between his resurrection and the full establishment of his kingdom would be the church age. His ascension was nearing, and that meant that these two individuals and all the witnesses of the the resurrection and every generation of believers to come would not have 
his bodily presence for proof or guidance. They would have to rely on his living and active word to light their path. Post-ascension, Jesus would be seen through the perfect testimony recorded in the scriptures and the imperfect testimony of followers whose heart eyes were opened. There is no physical Jesus here with us. Yes, we, we have the Holy Spirit, which is this incredible presence of God here in the world now, but we don't have Jesus, right? There's nothing to see. There's nothing to hear. There's nothing to touch in physical form, but Jesus here is kicking off a new era of believing in him and following him, an era no longer based on sight and physical proof, but an era that's always how it was meant to be, an era based on faith. That's what we're being called step into. And I think a lot of times we get caught in the same pattern as these two individuals on the road to Emmaus. Whatever the circumstances, whatever things lead to it, we find ourselves maybe just a little bit off or maybe on a path away from things that Jesus is doing. Maybe we get apathetic. Maybe we get bored. Maybe we just kind of lose focus on the things he's doing. Maybe in the midst of the events of our lives, the craziness the really good things, the really bad things, the pain and the hurt and the loss, the celebrations, the highs and the lows, we forget what the Bible says about life. We forget what God has promised us. We forget what he's called us to. We forget the life that he has designed for us. And so I think we can take this same pattern and see it play out in our lives. To take some time, maybe today, maybe this week, if you find yourself in that situation where you just, man, I remember I remember following him, right? I remember being obedient. I remember being close to him. I remember how it felt when I first believed, right? You remember that. How do I get back to that? Well, take some time. Maybe you journal it. Maybe you just process in your heart and mind, what's going on in my life? What are the, what are the things I've been experiencing lately? What am I walking through? What's my family walking through? What are the emotions that are a part of those events? How have I responded to those events? How have, how have I responded to those emotions? What's going on in my life? Where are my hopes colliding with reality? What's going on in my life? And then, just like Jesus did with these two individuals, all right, based on what you're experiencing, what does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say? What are the promises that we've been given throughout Scripture that apply to the things we're walking through right now? Where are the stories of individuals in Scripture who experience the same tensions, the same struggles, the same emotions? They're, now, here's the thing. It's a different context. They're riding donkeys, and we're driving Fords and Chevys, right? Buy American, let's go, right? But, but, what, but it's the same family struggles, right? Same family dynamics, same experiences, same emotions, same things. So what does the Bible say about doing it his way, following his will? What does it say about the beginning? What does it say about the end? What does the Bible say about the things that are going on in your life. And as you make that journey and attempt to get back to what it was like when you first found Jesus, to, to get back to where you need to be, you can appeal to the heart. You can appeal to the emotions. When did Jesus impact my life before? When was he familiar to me before? When did I recognize him before? When was it real to me before? When did he feel close to me before? Maybe it was a moment of first belief. For some of us, it's a moment. For some of us, it's a season, right? Some of you have that memory of like, all right, this is when I trusted Christ, right? I was with my parents. I was with my youth pastor. I was with a Sunday school teacher. I was with a grandma, whatever. You remember that moment. For some of us, it's a season, right? You're kind of discovering and taking steps, and all of a sudden, you kind of cross that line of faith. For some of us, it's very different. Maybe go back to a moment of baptism, 
Right? That, that moment you're like, I am all in on this, right? I'm a follower. I want my family to know. I want my friends to know. I want Facebook to know. I am all in. Maybe you go back to that moment. I was walking with Jesus then. I can get back there again, right? Maybe a moment in your life where it all made sense. Maybe a moment where it all clicked for you. Maybe a retreat you went on when you were younger. Maybe a moment of worship where just the lyrics of the song grabbed you, right? Or maybe it's a, a, a specific song, maybe a high or low moment in your life where God just stepped into your life and it was real, right? Go back to that moment. There are things we can go back to, the verses that always challenge us, the devotionals that have always changed, the, the videos that always seem to grasp, the, the preacher that always spoke to your heart back in college, right? Go back to those things, those things that always moved us or taught us or inspired us. Or find a, an example in someone else's life where you've seen God working in someone else's life and inspired you and encouraged you. When did Jesus impact my life before? And ultimately, this process, like it did for the two individuals, brings us to a decision point. And Brian and Crystal are going to come back up and lead us into our time of communion. But it brings up a question. It brings up a decision point. Do I believe this is all real? Because those two individuals were confronted with a moment like, oh, I think that was Jesus. Now what do we do? Do we continue down this path, going back to our old life, going back to a place that's safe, going back to a thing that's familiar, or do we course correct and refocus on what God has called us to and what he wants us to be and what he wants us to do? Do I believe this is all real? Is it true? Am I all in on this? And I know everybody's coming from a different place, and so you might be approaching this in in two completely different ways. Maybe some of you... This is a chance to start over, to recommit, to experience Jesus again for the first time. Maybe you've gotten off just a few degrees, and as the events of life have unfolded, and you've gotten to the routine, and it becomes a blur, you've forgotten about Jesus' face. You don't recognize yourself. You don't recognize him. You don't recognize that relationship like he once did. Maybe this is a chance as we enter into this time of communion to just reevaluate and say, all right, where am I at? I've been going through some stuff. Maybe things have been fine, but it's just life, right? Maybe these few moments are a chance for you to say, all right, I am all in. I'm getting back there, starting over. I'm going to pursue Jesus with everything that I've got. Maybe some of you, maybe you walked in here, and maybe somebody invited you or decided, man, I need to try out a church. Just the events of life brought you here, and maybe you've never made the decision to trust Jesus. Maybe you've never acknowledged in your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is God, that he came to earth to live a perfect, sinless life and then sacrificed that life for our imperfect, sinful life. And he allowed his body to be broken. He allowed his blood to be shed so that our sins could be forgiven and he could begin a work in us that we could never do on our own. And just like those two individuals on the road, all of a sudden, maybe you're sitting here and you recognize him for the first time as more than a character in a big book, as more than a great teacher, as more than some prophet that you can follow or not follow. But maybe for the first time today, you recognize him as Savior. Maybe these next few moments are a chance for you to have that conversation with him and begin that relationship. Right now, we're going to play a quick video just kind of get our hearts focused on Jesus and his sacrifice, and then Brian and Crystal are going to sing a song. Not so much to stand and sing with, at least at first, but a chance to include in your prayers and processing time.
as we enter into this time. And I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're a Christ follower, we'd love to have you uh, take part in this with us. Um, but I do want to encourage you to take it seriously, right? This, this is a chance to take communion. It's a chance to reflect on where we're at, reflect on his sacrifice for us, remember why he did it, remember what he's calling us to, and maybe examine our hearts a little bit and say, all right, where, where am I? Where do I need to be? How do I get back to that first love? And I'll be up in a couple minutes to lead us through.